Good morning. Uh, it's good to see everybody. I am obviously uh, not Sam Miles, and so if you're a visitor today, um, you need to come back and hear our, our main pastor here at, at MBT is Pastor Sam Miles, amazing man of God, dear friend, and so, uh, but I am really privileged to have this opportunity to be in the pulpit. This doesn't happen very often, and so um, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Kings today, chapter 17. Now, uh, I'm the pastor of the college and young adult ministry here at Midtown Baptist Temple. And over the last few months, we have been going through a study that we're referring to as how to be a righteous remnant. It's a study of Ezekiel 14. And the gist of, a, of it is this. We've been doing uh, character studies of men throughout the Old Testament who lived in a time where wickedness abounded. Uh, where it seemed as though they were the only ones, and in some cases, the case of Noah, he was the only one left on earth uh, following after the Lord. And so, man, it's been amazing to see over the last month and a half all of these character qualities of these men that helped them to, to, to endure and to be patient on the Lord and to be full of faith and, and to, to, to speak when no one else was speaking. And it's just been so fantastic. But, but I have to be honest with you. In Ezekiel 14, it doesn't list Elijah. And, and when, I, when I keep thinking about the righteous remnant, I can't help it. I keep going back to this guy, Elijah. So in my free time, I've been studying from 1 Kings and Elijah just is mind-boggling as a, as a person. He might be the most eccentric and exciting uh, of all of the characters of the Old Testament, in my opinion. I mean, how do you beat uh, a story where the guy's life ends by him being taken to heaven in a fiery chariot? I mean, how do, you, how do you beat that story, right? So this is a guy obviously worth looking at. His life is worth looking at and considering um, and so that's what we're going to look at today. Now, specifically what we're going to look at in chapter 17 of 1 Kings are three crucial elements of an evangelist. And so, so if you wanted, you know, we're calling it How to Be a Righteous Remnant, Elijah. But if you wanted a more precise title, that would, it would be three crucial elements of an evangelist's life. Okay. So let's, let's go ahead and set the stage. Can we do that real quick? Let's set the stage. We'll start in chapter 16, and we'll look at what Israel looks like in the time in which Elijah was ministering. Okay, verse 29, chapter 16, 29. Are we, are we ready? Okay. And in the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 20 and 2 years. Now catch this. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. It's quite a statement if you've been in 1 Kings before. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of, uh, of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. In his days did Hael the Bethelite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Ibram and uh, his firstborn, and set up the gates therefore in his youngest son, Sagub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake to Joshua the son of Nun. So, Ahab is the most wicked king Israel has ever seen. Now, that's saying a lot because the Bible actually calls his father before him the most wicked king that had ever been. 
So he tops, he one ups his dad, you know, which sons tend to do. Okay, and so, man, so he, he, he is a wicked man. He's perverse, he's vile, he's worshiping a false god, Baal. And beyond that, he somehow finds the most wicked woman on the face of the earth so that they can team up. Um, we, we, uh, we read this book to our kids. It's called Shrek. It's the movie Shrek is like the soft version of the book. I don't know if anybody's ever, ever, ever read the children's book Shrek. It's about this monster who's basically just disgusting. Um, he's, you know, he's covered in warts. He breathes fire. He's gross. And the whole book he's spending uh, trying to find someone as ugly as him. And he ends up finding this queen that he ends up marrying. She's uglier than he, She's topped him somehow. And that's, the, that's true of this story, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ahab and, and, and Jezebel, they're, they're, they're two peas in a pod. They're, they're both equally as vile. And, you know, the thing about uh, Israel at this time is that this didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like just one day Ahab showed up. As I already said, there were kings that came before him who were also wicked. And there was a spattering here and there of good kings who loved the Lord. But progressively, from the time of David up to this point, we're seeing the generation after generation, Israel is slowly turning away from the Lord. And we have to know that that's how the world works. Every great nation that has ever been slowly erodes to that place as well. And the the crazy thing is, that's how churches work too. Churches can erode over time. Little cultural shifts, right? Little things, you know, a church starts out as a Bible-believing center where people are evangelical and excited about God's word and, and they're coming together in fellowship and they're, and they're a church-planting church. But over time, generation after generation, the cultural shifts here and there and, and we can end up really far from the Lord. And that's true of MBT. We're not, we're not distinct or extra special in that way. We have to know that if we're not careful in the way we train up the next generation and instill in them the DNA, we could be just like Israel is here, far from the Lord. But see, God is faithful to Israel, and he didn't leave the nation without a beacon of light. He brings a man, a man that would speak up when no one else would, and this man was Elijah. And so we want to look at his life. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 17, where we're introduced to who Elijah is. This is the first time we hear from him. He seems to come out of nowhere. We don't know anything about his family or, or, or how he grew up, really much at all. And, and here he just shows up out of nowhere uh, for such a time as this. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Okay. So the first thing we learn about Elijah is that he's from Gilead. Now, if you've studied the Bible at all, or you've looked at at, at what the the landscape of Israel looks like, Gilead is essentially the Ozarks. Uh, It's like hillbilly country, okay, of Israel. It's a a hilly place, it's wilderness. Um, The people there, they were, you know, they, they worked with their hands, they were simple people. And yet we have this guy, Elijah, much like we see later on with John the Baptist, just comes out of nowhere from the wilderness and shows up on the doorstep of the king and is making this pronouncement that there'll be no rain for three years. Now, we know this from James chapter 5, that there had already not been rain for six months. So this was extra bad news for King Ahab. And so... I mean, what is it about this guy, Elijah, that makes him think that he can just walk up to the king and tell him, some, you know, hey, man, you're wicked. 
You've, you've led the nation of Israel in wickedness. We're, de- we're a depraved nation because of what you've done. And because of that, here comes the judgment. Three years without any rain, any dew, even any dew on the ground. That takes guts, y'all. You've got this hillbilly who's going up to this well-trained, intelligent, genteel king. I mean, as wicked as he was, he's still a king, right? And he's pronouncing truth. And the question for us is, what creates that kind of boldness in a person? How does a person get to that place? How, how could we possibly ever get there? You know, for us, there's, there's so many ways in which we as individuals living in Laodicea justify not sharing the gospel. Not speaking truth, not being bold. We know what the Great Commission says. It says us, a bunch of worthless individuals, have been tasked with the responsibility of sharing the gospel with the entire world. That's what we've been tasked with. That's our responsibility. That's our job. But yet, so often, we find ourselves saying things like, well, there's no way I will ever be as, be as useful as Pastor Sam. I'll never be as useful as Brent Fitzpatrick. I'll never, and we, we compare ourselves to one another. And, we, and honestly... We compare ourselves to one another as an escape route from not doing the thing that God's asked us to do. It's a justification to be disobedient. That's, right. That's what that is. And we say to ourselves, we look around and we say to ourselves, well, I'm not educated enough. I haven't, I haven't had enough LFBI under my belt. I've never, I've never, you know, I'm not as smart. And if my coworker challenges me somehow on what I believe, I don't know if I'll be able to give them the right response. I don't know if I'm smart enough to do it. And that's some sort of a justification for you for not being bold at your work or, or in your class at school or whatever it might be, we make these excuses all day long. You know, some of us in here, we look, uh, this, is a mixed, this is a mixed group here, age and demographic-wise. A lot of us in this room, we see what Kaya's doing. And I'm going to say this as, as a representative of Kaya this morning. We look at what ha- is happening in, in, in Kaya. And, and we say, man, look at the energy of those young people. Wouldn't you agree they're just energetic they seem to be involved in everything, and, and they're growing, and they're learning, and look at what God is doing in them. And I'm a little bit older, and I've got kids, and there's no way I could ever do what they're doing. And we make excuses for not doing what God has asked of us because we're comparing ourselves to other people and other people's expectations and false expectations we have for ourselves. That's jacked. And you're using it as a reason to not be bold. No, the truth is, that none of us are qualified to preach the gospel, but we've been recruited by the great qualifier. The one that qualifies has recruited us to work. We're employed by the man, the one who does justify, the one who does make righteous. And he can take you as, and me as dumb as we are, and he can use us to do something in this world. He can do that. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Then no flesh should glory in his presence. See, Elijah is undaunted by his task. He's completely comfortable with his weaknesses. Are you? He has a job to do. And he's determined to do it with boldness. Now, at a time which Ahab was bold in his defiance against God, here we find Elijah 
bold in his defiance to Ahab. It's pretty awesome. And it's here where we might consider where does boldness come from? Where does boldness come from? It, I want to tell you, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It seems like Elijah just came out of nowhere. I want to tell you, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Boldness doesn't just appear in our lives. It's not like we just show up to Mission Focus, and we go to Mission Focus, and then we come out of the conference all excited, and then the next day we're bold and we're just sharing the gospel with everyone. It doesn't work that way. And I want to point something out to you, that boldness first and foremost requires a mindset, a mindset, a perspective, a belief Look at verse 1. It says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. As the Lord God of Israel liveth. Okay, so why was Elijah bold? The first thing he knew was that his God lived. Oh, well, that seems real simple, doesn't it? That, I mean, that seems, that seems overly simpl simplified. It is that simple. Let me explain something to you. Israel lived in a time in which people did not believe in the God of the Bible. The one that had delivered them from Egypt, they had forgotten him completely. They didn't worship him anymore. They worshiped Baal. He was the new God. He was the one that they were convinced was alive. You understand? That's what they believed. And so for him to come into the face of power and say, I worship a God that lives and your God is dead is what he's implying. My God lives, your God is dead. That took some boldness. But the reason that he could do that is because he actually believed it. Now here's the problem. We say that we believe that Jesus Christ lives. I mean, we live in a world where since the Enlightenment age of America, we've been progressively working our way towards not believing that Jesus Christ is actually alive. We've been working science and everything and industry and all these things. You know, everything is conspiring against a belief in God. And we're, we're the remnant. We're, we're standing here and we're saying, well, I believe, I believe. Okay, do you believe that God lives? Because if you believe that God lives, it would affect and impact everything that you do all day long and all the time. And it just doesn't. We, we actually believe God lives in our mind, but in our heart, we believe he's dead. That's how we function. But if in our heart we recognize the fact that God is actually living and powerful, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that he's watching me, and he's with me, and he sustains all things, that he's holding the universe together, that, when, that, that he gives me every single breath, that it's gravity that keeps my feet on the ground, and I see him everywhere I go, and I know that he's with me, and I know that he lives, that's different than saying, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, I believe that. That's different. You understand? And it's when you start thinking that way, and those are the perceptions and the beliefs that you have, well, then boldness comes. Well, what's the other thing that he says? It says, as the Lord God of Israel uh, liveth before whom I stand. Okay, now this is what that means. This basically means whose stead I am in. Whose stead I am. I am, I am an ambassador of the one that lives he understands that he has employment by the creator of the, the entire world. He understands his position. He understands that God is invisible. He understands that God has put Israel in a place where there's supposed to be a blessing, there's supposed to be a light to the world, and Elijah owns that. I'm standing here in God's stead, and I'm making this proclamation before you with boldness, with audacity, because I know that I'm employed by the creator of the universe. Now the question is, why am I not bold? Oh, well, maybe it's because you've forgotten that God lives from day to day in your heart. 
And that you don't really understand that you are employed, that you're an ambassador, that you represent that God. We forget that. But when we start believing that, it changes everything. It changes everything. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, This is the Great Commission. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Okay? He's saying, Jesus, and we all believe this, Jesus has all power in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. You go, because I have all power in heaven and earth. You go as my ambassadors. I've got your back. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, listen, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So we can know that we can be bold because God is with us. He's living and we are standing in his stead. He's sent us to do a job and we ought not be afraid of that. So key point number one. To know the living God and to live his purpose is to fear nothing. To know the living God and to live his purpose is to fear nothing. Elijah's eyes were set on his gospel message. Just think of how Ahab felt. Certainly he was boiling inside. Certainly he was angry. He was frustrated. Here's this man standing in the face of power and declaring judgment. Now listen, we've got to be driven by one task too. I wonder how many of us burn inside to deliver the message that we've been given. How many of us have the capacity to actually ignore the ridicule and the rejection of the many that we might pre preach to win some. Who of, us, who of us have that kind of guts? You know, Jeremiah says that the word of God was like a fire burning in his bones. Does anybody else feel that way? Like you can't not speak. I fear that many of us aren't that way. Listen, Psalm 3.6 says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. I mean, we read the Bible when we read this, we're like, well, yeah, it's David. Yeah, this, yeah, this dude's, look at him. He's the man. No, listen, that is, that's for us. If ten thousand people were staring you down and rejecting you and defying you and hating you, could you stand? Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So now what? Now what? Okay, so here we have Ahab, Elijah, standing. Staring each other down, if you will. What happens next? What happens next? Now, if we were to write this story, we would say to ourselves, well, the next thing that Elijah should do is he should go, go into the villages and he should preach. And he should preach a message of repentance. And he should go to work. And he should start, start uh, telling people to turn their, to, to, to the Lord, to turn from Baal and turn to the Lord. That's what he should do. Or maybe we would say to ourselves, oh, this is what he should do. He should go up into the, to the high places and into the groves and do like Gideon did and tear down the false idols. He should tear them down. That's what, that's what Elijah should be doing right here. But it's in this moment that God asked him to do something that seems highly irregular. Hide. <laughs> Hide. 
But I'm so full of zeal, God. I just want to, I want to go. I want to get to work. I want to, do, I want to do what you want me to do. There's all this stuff that we've got to do. Look at all this ministry activity. I've, I've made a list here. I've got all these boxes to check off. There's things that need to get done. Verse 2 says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee, get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Kareth, that is before, the, uh, before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Kareth, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Key point number two, and then we're going to break it down. Key point number two. Retreat is necessary for our sustenance and shaping. The word sustenance just means provision. God providing for us. God feeding us. God taking care of us. Retreat is necessary for our sustenance and shaping. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now I want to point out the fact that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He didn't have to go to, to go find it out. He didn't have to go search. He didn't have to ask at the stars. God, where are you? What do you want me to do next? That's just like us. The word of the Lord has come to us. We can know his will. We can know exactly what we should be doing. And he's, the plan of our life ought to conform to what's happening here. The word of the Lord has come to us. We don't have to guess. And neither did Elijah. And so the word of the Lord came to him and says, I want you to go away, I want you to hide, I want you to retreat. Now listen to me, so few of us are comfortable with retreating with God. A lot of us in this room, we, if we were honest with ourselves, we would say, you know, I love doing ministry. I love MBT. It's so much fun to be here. I love coming and be a part of hospitality. I love my small group. I love, I love helping with the security team. I love doing this or that. We've got these long lists of, of all the things that we love to do and we enjoy about being a part of church. And we keep ourselves real busy, don't we? Aren't we a pretty busy people? We're a busy church. We've got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people that need to get saved. And we love doing that. But the problem is so few of us uh, choose to make retreats in our free time because it scares us a little bit because when we go to that place we know we have to be vulnerable, vulnerable before the Lord there's too many of us in this room right now if we're honest with ourselves we have not mastered the art of retreating and being alone with God I mean some of you can't spend 10 minutes in the word with God and praying let alone hours let alone weeks listen Elijah is going to be in retreat for three years, y'all. <laughs> and so many of us can't spend 10 minutes in the world with God every day. It's a, it's a shame. It's a shame. Mark chapter 631, Jesus calls his disciples to retreat. Come yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. God wants us to retreat. Jesus himself retreats. He re retreats out into mountaintops and prays and spends time with the Father. He does that. He understands the importance of it. Do you. Do you. Get thee hence was a command to get away with God, that God might pour and share his great love into Elijah, that he might make him vulnerable, that he might stretch him, that he might provoke him. So Elijah goes into retreat, living by God's sustaining hand for three years. Now I want to point a few things out about retreat. What are some things that we can learn about retreating with God here? What can, what can we learn about our quiet time from this passage? The first thing is that God has asked him to go to the brook of Kareth. The brook of Kareth. The word Kareth means cutting. Now we can say to ourselves, well, the reason they call it cutting is because the, the, the brook, you know, it cuts through the landscape, right? That would be, that would be the, the, the geographic reason why, the topographic reason why they named it cutting, but the truth is the spiritual reason why this brook is cutting 
is because retreat with God should be cutting in our lives. It should hurt a little bit. It should be a a procedure of surgical nature. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. See, the word is effective for cutting. So it's effective for that. And it's got to do that work. And so when Elijah goes to the brook of Kareth and he takes in the water, water is a picture of the word of God, he takes in that water, it's, it, it ought to be cutting. Now when you go and spend time with the Lord, are you actually studying the word? Are you dividing it? Are you studying it? Are you letting it cut you? Are you letting it tear you apart? Are you letting it go into the places and the crevices where you know the, the, that the wickedness is? Is that how you spend time with God? And so that's the first thing we learn, learn is that when we retreat with the Lord, it ought to cut us a little bit. It ought to hurt. Then we learn how the word is dispensed. It's super interesting that, that God uses ravens here to feed Elijah. So the first thing we have to know about ravens is ravens were unclean beasts. They weren't supposed to be touched. They weren't supposed to be eaten by the nation of Israel. And so it would be really easy for, for Elijah to say to himself, no, I don't want any part of that. I'm not going to touch, I'm not going to eat anything that a raven brings to me. Now listen, Job 38, 41 says something really interesting. Check this out. Who provideth for the raven his food when his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat? Now listen to me. What we know about the fowls of the air and the sparrows, the Bible talks about this several times, is who, who provides for the birds? God provides for the birds. So God provides for the ravens, and the ravens provide for us. Oh, but they're a reviled creature. Okay, so let me point out the picture here. Every Sunday morning, we come and we gather here. And you guys sit in these pews. And you listen to Pastor Sam, Pastor Will, Pastor Kenny, me, Chris. You listen to the pastors preach. Now, I want to point something out to you you might not yet understand. We are reviled creatures. We are unclean. We are unqualified. We don't deserve the right to open God's book and feed it to you every week. But nonetheless, here we are. And when you come to the Sunday table, when you come and you sit down and you're here and you're listening to Pastor Sam, I wonder what heart attitude you come with. I wonder if you're actually prepared to take of the raven. I wonder if you say to yourself, look at Sam. I mean, I'm hearing about his vision. I'm hearing about what he wants. I'm I'm hearing how he's preaching for the word. I I could do better. I could be better. I don't really like what he said this week. I'm going to go mope about it all Sunday afternoon. I'm going to set my heart against him. Listen to me, there's people in this room who do that every Sunday. You pick at and you dislike and you disdain the things that you're hearing. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, why are you even here? You're here to get sustenance. You're here to get fed, right? If so, then you ought not set in your heart a reason not to receive what God has given you. We've got to check ourselves. We have got to check ourselves. None of the pastors here are perfect. None of us. We know that we can't do this perfectly, but we've got a perfect book, and here we are with it open. Can we all just agree that we all kind of stink, and none of us are really that good, and that we can be humble enough to say that God's given that man. Pastor Sam, God used Pastor Sam to establish this church. You would not be sitting here if it wasn't for the work that God did in his life. Do not despise him. And I say that, I'm begging that. I'm begging you, don't despise him, because it's not just for Sam. It has nothing to do with him. I, I do respect him. I do revere him. No, this is about you, because, the, because if you decide to, to, to despise him, then you will not grow, 
and it will kill what God's trying to do in your life. He's trying to shape you. He's trying to sustain you. Don't get in the way of that. Submit. The third thing is that that the the food comes to him routinely. So he's out there. The ravens are feeding him. He's taken to the brook. But those ravens come in the morning and they come in the evening. And I love that. The Bible talks all the time, over and over again, about going, going to God's word in the morning and the evening, in the morning and the evening, in the morning and the evening. And I love the fact that the morning and the evening cap off the time of light. Don't you love that? I love that. I love that the morning begins the time of light. I love that the evening ends the time of light. And here's the deal. If we're taking sustenance from God in the morning and the evening, in the morning and the evening, and we're doing that as a matter of habit, and we're going to him for our sustenance and our shaping every morning and every evening, guess what? Our day will be filled with light. Our day will be filled with light, and we'll be living in the light as he is in the light. It has to be a routine. And so those are important things we ought to know about retreat. Now listen to me. The story gets weird here because what happens is the brook dries up, right? We know that there's a, there's a drought in the land. After a, a season, the brook dries up. And God gives a new message to Elijah. And he calls him to faith. But listen to me. He's actually, what he's going to do, I'm going to give you the insight here. He's sending Elijah to share of the sustenance that, that God has given him to share that with the lost Check this picture out. Verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, uh, which belongeth in Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And if she was going to fetch it, he called to her again, okay? And he says to her, listen, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she very sadly turns to him and says, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Man, so much there, right? I mean, she's... she's Her and her son, they're malnutritioned. This is going to be their last meal. And here comes this man of God into their lives and interjects himself and says, hey, let's let's eat. Let's eat. Listen listen to what he says. Verse, Verse 13. And Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first and bring it unto me. And after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the sayings of Elijah, and she and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by, by Elijah. Now listen to me. So this is really cool. God doesn't multiply the meal. He doesn't multiply the flour. He doesn't multiply the oil like he did uh, at the wedding feast, for instance, right? Or or with the the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000. This is what God does. He says, I'm going to sustain you day by day. And that, 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 that barrel of meal will never be depleted. It never will. And I'm going to do that through the hand of Elijah, I'm sending Elijah into your life that he might be used to sustain you. So listen to me very carefully. God wants to use us and the things that he's giving us in terms of sustenance and his word that they might be shared with the lost. That they might be shared. 
Did you know God loved this widow and this child? He cared for them deeply. That's why he sent Elijah to them. He, he could have sent Elijah anywhere, but he knew that these people were primed for truth. I have to believe that. And so God sends Elijah to share of what he has in terms of, of, of the blessing of God into their lives. So key point number three. God is sending us to share what we have received. God is sending us to share what we received. Okay, now listen to me. For many years now, seven, eight years, Pastor Sam Miles has been talking about this concept. It goes like this. Hey, get the Bible, Bible open with the lost. Amen. Yeah, yeah just get, if you could just get the Bible open with lost people, then, then, then they, would, they would be... It would prove itself out that over time they would be proven of the truth of Jesus Christ and they would choose him because they see the sustaining power, the salvation and the sustaining power that are in every page of this book. And if we could just sit down with lost people, we talk about it in terms of creation to Christ, right? We talk about it in terms of inviting people to the uh, lost people into our Bible studies. I mean, a lot of our, our ministries now, we have Bible studies. We fellowship there. We study God's word. But are the lost actually invited like, is there actually space for a lost person to come study the Bible with you in your small group? Are you making room for them? Are you making room for them? Are you giving them opportunities to share from what God has shown you? I think it's really important that we hunker down and we really consider, this is the vision for our church. We're using God's word to evangelize. We could do it many different ways. We could go out in the street and yell a bunch. We could go down to the plaza and, 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 and we could do that. That's totally fine. We're not against doing that. But listen to me. The point is, is this. People get saved because the word cuts them. Because the word sustains them. Because the word is powerful. They see it and they know it is true. They see it and they know it is true. And in our Bible studies, we've had people sit down to do creation to Christ. And there's a man in this room right now. The first time he sat down with another man in our ministry to do creation to Christ, the very first meeting, he got saved. He saw it. His eyes were open. He saw it for what it was. And he took it. And he was ready. And he received it. Now listen to me. There, there's others in this room right now. A young man in Kai, it took him six months of attending a Bible study before he understood what the gospel truly was for his life and he repented and turned. Man, but the, but the God's honest truth is we're, the, the reason that Kaya is growing is not because there's something special because they have more energy. It's because they're choosing to, to listen to what Sam's saying and just open the Bible with lost people. Are you hearing me on this? Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Now, at this moment in our story, the woman has tasted of the sustenance of God. She's tasted salvation, but she hasn't yet seen it. She hasn't yet seen it. Check this out. 17. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. The little boy gets sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto him, Elijah, what have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come unto me to call my, my sin to remembrance and slay my son? Ouch. Like, are, have you only ever, just ever been here in the first place that, that you would curse my home and my son would die? What are you here for? And he said unto her, he's broken. Give me thy son. 
That's all he could say. And so he takes him in his arms. He takes him away. And he, and he, he takes him up into a loft and he abode there. And he laid, uh, laid him upon his own bed and he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Elijah, Now, now, by this I know that thou art a man of God, and the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. It's so crazy to me. I mean, they're taking meal out of that barrel every stinking day, and she's not saying to herself, yeah, you know, the God of Elijah, he's the one. I mean, I think in my mind, I'd be like on the ground worshiping immediately when I realized that the meals just keep me, it just replenished day after day after day. But for her, it, it, it wasn't that easy. It wasn't that easy. It took, it took some time. It took some, it took some time and sustaining and sustaining and time with, with God and time with the man of God. And eventually, there was something in her, ha- in her life that was a crisis, a crisis. She discovered her lostness. She discovered her depravity. There was a moment in time, something happened, a circumstance that changed the way, and she was open in a new way. And this is how it works with the lost, too, in our lives. There's something, something's going to happen. There's something's going to give in their lives. And suddenly, they're going to discover, wow, there's something that's just not right with my life. There's something that I need that's more. I can taste it. I can taste it, but I can't see it yet. And then what happens is that the man of God prays. And he prays. It's a soul prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer, it's prayer for souls. And the question is, if you're not getting breakthroughs evangelically, if you're not seeing people come to Christ, I wonder how much you care. I bet I could measure it by how you pray I bet I could measure how much you care for souls by how much you pray for souls. And if we want people to discover God, then it's time that we start praying for it. They can see their lostness, but until they see God, there is no salvation. So God works in her life. God does something, and she sees. She's tasted, and now she's seen. And she can say that the words that are coming from your your mouth, Elijah, about your God, they are true. So as we close today, as the worship team comes up, I don't know if they're around anywhere, the worship team can come up. There you are. Like Elijah, out of nowhere. This comes out of nowhere. So I want to pose some serious questions before we close, because we've covered a lot of ground, haven't we? We talked about three different ways uh, three, there are three different things that have to be true of an evangelist life. Now, we go to a church that believes that people are saved by the message of the gospel when they receive it. When they repent of their sin and they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're saved. And we take that so seriously that we talk about doing the work of an evangelist. We talk about going to the lost and sharing truth with them. And we take that pretty serious around here, at least in our words. 
Okay, so the very first thing I want to ask is, what's keeping you from being bold? Maybe you've looked at Elijah today and you've said to yourself, you know what, I lack boldness. There's something wrong with the way I believe. There's something wrong with my perceptions. There's something wrong with how I see my, my relationship with God. And I'm not truly an ambassador. I'm not functioning the way that I should. There's something wrong with my boldness. I need to come forward and I need to pray with someone about that. This is your opportunity to do that. You might be saying to yourself this morning, there's something the matter with the way I spend time with God. I like to do a lot of ministry, but I'm not finding joy in my time with God. I'm not willing to retreat. I'm not making space in the morning and the evening to get my sustenance from the Lord. There's something the matter with my alone time. You know, we like, when we talk about Elijah, we, li- we like to talk about Mount Carmel, don't we? What's so awesome. Elijah goes toe-to-toe with 450 of Baal's prophets, and it's awesome. When we talk about Elijah, we always tell that story. Listen to me. There is no Elijah going toe-to-toe with 450 prophets if there isn't a brook of Kareth. You understand? He was molded and he was shaped by the time he spent alone with God. There was a season of preparation there was a season of time with the Lord where he let the Lord just have his way with his life and it hurt and it was good and it was sustaining and it was powerful and it changed him. And he had the boldness and the audacity to take the next step in ministry. And really the honest truth is that many of you, the reason that you're not taking that next step in ministry, the, people aren't give, the, 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 the pastors aren't giving you a disciple to, to disciple, is because that you're not actually in a place where you're ready for that. There's things that you want in ministry that you just can't have yet. The reason is, the reason that those things are being kept from you is because you don't even know how to retreat with the Lord. You don't know how to meditate in his presence and enjoy just who he is. And there's something off. Something just not quite right yet. We need to to decide. We want to be with the Lord and meditate with him. And then the third thing is that some of us are really, really convicted because we're not getting the Bible open with the lost. We're not sharing them with them the things that we know. We've got all kinds of excuses for that. Why aren't you opening the Bible with the lost when you know that that's the vision of this church, that that's what we do? What's keeping you from that? Is it fear? If any of those things are convicting for you, as we pray now, I want you to come forward and meet with with one of the people standing up front and just pray. Just pray that God would have his way with your life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time in your word. You've been so good to us. And we look at Elijah's life and we say to ourselves, God, if I could be like Elijah, that would be so amazing. But for Elijah, it took, it took, it took faith, it took sacrifice, it took boldness, it took belief that a lot of us just don't have. We just don't have it. Because if we did, we'd be used to rock the nations. Kansas City would be a completely different place. It only took 12 to turn the whole world upside down. And in this room right now, we have, we have many more than that. Lord, we want to be used, but it's going to require individuals to die to self and to turn to you and to say, Lord, I need to prioritize you. Lord, teach us to retreat. Teach us to open your book. Teach us to be bold. We need to be evangelists. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.